We're going to be in a couple places in the New Testament today, starting with Acts 1, and then over in the book of Revelation. We've been talking for these past few weeks about uh, what, uh, what I, we believe are our four defining values. We've talked about gospel, community, and discipleship. The gospel being that Jesus is Lord, and that truth uh, shapes who we are and what we do. And because of that, we believe in a community that you live a life together uh, in vulnerability and exposure and costly community because that's the kind of community that reflects the Trinitarian nature of God. And we believe that the gospel demands of us that we keep on growing, that we're, uh, we're not done when Jesus first comes and gets us, but we live a life that's perpetually going in and up and we are being shaped and changed sometimes in ways that we don't even recognize until it's over. And today, all of that, the linkage in that culminates in us talking about mission together. So this is the beginning of the book of Acts, the first 10 verses. I said start one, right? Okay, good. In the first book, O Theophilus, which is the book of Luke, if you didn't know, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria into the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And our second text is from the book of Revelation, chapter 7. After this, I, John, looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Let me pray one more time. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word spoken to us, given to us. We thank you that you are a God who does this, that speaks to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would apply this word to our hearts. Help me to speak faithfully and truly your word so that we might hear from you. We thank you, Jesus. 
Amen. Acts 1 is the beginning of this two-part work from Luke. He spent this first part of his writing project describing the life of Jesus, and then the book of Acts is this second part where he describes then what happens to the people who are following Jesus and their spiritual descendants. It's the Acts of those apostles, the apostles who were following him. This is what they did. And it picks up on the scene after Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus is about to leave them, which he's told them he's going to do. And we know from the Gospel of John, he's told them it's actually going to be better for them that he's going to leave them in some strange way that they cannot understand. And he tells them that they have to leave eventually after the Holy Spirit comes and that they will then be sent to do this thing. And he, he starts with the town where they are and then the region of Judea and then just outside of that to a bunch of people that they don't really feel comfortable going to in Samaria and then ultimately the ends of the earth. And in that moment, he is lifted up. Just zoop. He just goes into the sky, which is still one of the strangest things to me. It's still, every time I read it, it's still unexpected. And I feel such sympathy with the disciples who are standing there staring at what just happened. And the angels come and ask, what are you doing? It's like, well, a person just, you know, kind of just come, we're kind of taken aback. And that thing that happens is actually crucially important to, to what they're commanded to do. We'll get to that in a second. But Jesus tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Witnesses are people who testify to what they have seen and experienced. This is, becomes then the fundamental nature and call of the disciples of Jesus. It pivots from following Jesus every day, all the time, listening to His teaching, watching His life, to being then witnesses of what they have seen. And what then we who read it are called to hear is that this thing is in the nature of the church. It is from the very beginning of the existence of the church that the people of God, disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, hear this command. And hear the, what we call the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew as not just a command for those who are present that day, but as a command to all of those who follow Jesus. That you are called to bear witness to what Jesus has done and who He is. What we would say is you are called to bear witness to the Gospel. And what we talked about before, the Gospel is that Jesus is Lord. Quite simply, the thing that they were proclaiming again and again in their sermons in this book is that Jesus is Lord. That He is the One who was crucified, He was resurrected, and now He's ascended, lording over all things. That Jesus is Lord. They are witnessing to that, and you and I are called then to witness to that thing. This is the thing that we have seen and experienced and tasted that Jesus is Lord. 
And if Jesus is Lord, then this command that He has for His disciples here is the command that He has for us. And we believe that we, this church along with every other church, is called to live a life on mission with and for Jesus. That it is part of our joy and privilege and responsibility to tell every single person that they must come and see this Jesus. They must come and see this Jesus who is not just a figure from history, a spiritually beneficial guru, but He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And and this thing that Jesus calls us to feels in some sense uncomfortable, especially in the day and age that we live in. Because the claim that Jesus is Lord is an implicit claim that there is no other Lord. Any other spiritual thing, any other physical thing, any other life philosophy that you feel brings you power and joy, brings people real joy. But when we say Jesus is Lord, we are fundamentally, implicitly, and at times explicitly saying that thing is not Lord. There is something confrontational about that. Almost feels aggressive about that. And if you ever, and I hope you have, if you ever have, when you have conversations about what you believe about Jesus being Lord, you you kind of feel that immediately. Ugh. What am I saying about you? What are you hearing me say? It feels inside of you like you want to pull up short. But it's important to understand that this is not something that we have created 2,000 years after the events. This is not something that the disciples created. These things come from what Jesus Himself says. People think that they're cool with Jesus, but not Jesus' followers. But then if you really open the Gospels and bring out the actual words of Jesus, it's like, well, I don't know if I'm cool with Jesus either. Because Jesus says stuff that is uncomfortable. He says stuff like I pulled out in my my New Testament survey class. Jesus turns to a group of people in John chapter 6 and says, I am the bread of life. If you want to live, you must eat my flesh. That's Jesus. Not the best advertising necessarily. In effect, people left. They were like, that's weird, and that's gross, and I'm out. But Jesus is that Jesus that makes these kinds of claims. I am the bread of life. If you want to have spiritual life, I am not one option on a spiritual buffet. I am the only source of spiritual nourishment. If you want to live, you feast on me. That's Jesus. And so if there's anything, when you hear this call to come and proclaim this thing, that Jesus is Lord, there can be, if you will listen to Jesus, a sense of relief like, look, He's the boss. These are His words and not mine. And let me tell you, I understand how this feels confrontational and aggressive and weird. But let me tell you another thing. I've never met somebody like Jesus. And knowing Him, 
I trust him when he says these things. And I think the kind and quality of his life leads me to believe that he's actually right. That he is astonishingly, breathtakingly true in what he says. So I too, friend, family, coworker, I too am uncomfortable when I tell you these things. But I've never met anyone like Jesus. Because here's the thing that we are saying about Jesus when we are saying that He is Lord. It's not that He's just some far-off, invisible person that had said some strange things a long time ago. But crucially, we are saying that Jesus is the King who comes to die for His people because He loves them. That He's not just saying these strange things and leaving you on an island and expecting you to just be okay with what He said. He's coming and demonstrating to you the content of His commitment to you in love. That this King of love would come and die that you might know Him and you might know freedom from everything that enchains you inside and oppresses you outside. Because He loves you. And we believe that that truth has to be communicated all the time by us with our lips and with our lives. And the proclamation that Jesus is Lord also demands that we are carried forward into our community to proclaim that truth in all kinds of ways. We believe that it is it is congruent with the gospel, that it is, it is the necessary conclusion of the gospel, that if we are saying Jesus is Lord, we have to live in such a way that we are telling people this is what life might look like and should look like if Jesus is King. So for us, that, that leads to all kinds of creative and practical outworkings and proclamations of the kingship of Jesus. So we, we tell each other, we tell the school here that when we come and organize the clothes closet, that is not separated from the gospel. It is not secondary to the gospel. It is not other than the gospel. It is not whipped cream on the cake of the gospel. It is in confluence with the proclamation that Jesus is king. Because if Jesus is king, then poor kids have clothes to wear and food to eat and water to drink. And we see no reason to draw a line between those things. And there should be no reason for us individually to draw a line between any of those things. We have within the history of our, our big church this competing sort of pulls. Like, well, we're not, we're not, we're not talking about feeding people. We're talking about telling them that Jesus is Lord. Or you have another people saying, well, they'll get it if we just feed people. You see the, the two different approaches. They're saying, like, well, I'll do this half and then they'll, we'll do this half. And for us in our church, we're saying, we're not making a choice. That is not how the gospel works. 
The gospel is neither a social program alone or a spiritual truth alone. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord. That is the gospel. That is necessarily individual and spiritual and social and political and everything. Because Jesus' proclamation that He is Lord is not bounded off or fenced off from any realm of life. And as soon as you start building fences around where the gospel can speak, that is the place where the gospel is going to go, where Jesus will put his foot on fences and says, I am Lord. There is no other realm of creation. It's all mine. I am the Lord. So that's why when we tell you that God cares about creation, we are not getting distracted by something else. Jesus is the Lord of the Garden of Eden. He is the one who planted the trees. He is the one who superintends over creation. And to be involved in what he's doing is to not get distracted by something other than the gospel. It is speaking in concert with the gospel. Jesus' lordship compels us to plant gardens. And it is not a distraction to say that the poor should have food and be clothed. The same parables that people will point to and see it really matters that people know who Jesus is. The parables where He's saying that there's sheep and goats and there will be a judgment and it, it depends on what you know is the same parables where He's saying, I was hungry but you did not feed me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. They're not separated. They're together. Because Jesus is Lord. And he proclaims his lordship over all things. And something in us, I know the temptation of my generation and my day is to take a razor and cut out the parts and take, leave the things that we are comfortable with. I know that in my own life. I'd rather just be a good person and nice to other people and just hope that they kind of get the message that I think that Jesus is Lord. If I like smile at the cashier at Ingalls, then she'll somehow understand that Jesus is Lord. If I do enough good things, I never actually have to mention Jesus because then people will just sort of like, by osmosis, I don't know. They'll just sort of receive what I, what I mean. That's what I feel comfortable with. Or I feel comfortable sort of circling up with my Christian friends and saying, Jesus is Lord, right? And we're like, yeah, Jesus is Lord, right? And so I like to, I like to parcel off mission to the communities where I can be most comfortable. And when you do that, when I do that, what you slowly and quietly and implicitly say is, I'm the Lord. My comfort is what reigns in my life. Me, me being liked, that's what reigns in my life. This is, this is the thing, this, how these four things, gospel, community, discipleship, and mission, this is how they all fit together. Because being on mission, being called to be on mission with Jesus 
is fundamentally a discipling work. Because you will be called to be on mission with Jesus, and you will yourself realize you need to hear the gospel again. That Jesus is Lord and you're not. And that you, me, people who grope our way in the right direction, Jesus is the King of love who died for us and will not quit till we're all the way rescued. And when we are on mission with Jesus, the best version of it, the version that we see in Acts of the Apostles, is the kind where we're linked arms with one another. So that my friends, my family, who I share table with and share my spiritual life with, they can, they can grab me around the shoulders and say, you, you are off doing something else right now, but you are loved by the Jesus who is Lord over heaven and earth. And they call me back to the gospel. Well, we, we lay out these four things, the gospel, community, discipleship, and mission. <clears throat> and what we're saying as a church is not pick one. Pick your favorite. And everybody says gospel because they like the Sunday school answers. So then pick one of the three. Pick your favorite. That's not what we're saying. We're saying to, to be a full-fledged, fully-orbed follower of Jesus you, you need all of these things, and all of these things work together and feed one another. And, and if you are here this morning and hearing all this, this stuff about mission, hearing where Jesus tells you to go to, to near and far places, and you are, are deeply afraid, you need to hear that you're part of a community. To hear other people say, bro, I've been there, am there. Let's go together. You need people to say, I, I, I don't think I'm competent or, or sufficient to, to proclaim this truth. Jesus is Lord. I don't know if he's fully Lord of me. And you need people to come around you and say, you are not alone. Let's go together. Jesus calls us to all kinds of places to proclaim and witness to this. We have seen Jesus, and there is no one like him. You have to come see Jesus. You, you are called now. You, you may be sitting here and saying, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know if this is for me. Where am I supposed to do this? Here. Wherever you are right now, wherever you're going tomorrow, that's the place that God's called you. That's the place where He's put you. The thing about the proclamation of Jesus' Lordship is that it's being proclaimed in the lives of ordinary people. That's what's so shocking about it. So you, you don't have to, to wear camel hair like John the Baptist and move to the wilderness and eat bugs, and that's the only way that you can be on mission. Because here in your Jerusalem, in my Jerusalem, there are corners of this city and of this valley where the name of Jesus is only used as a curse word. Never used with love. Never used to describe how God has healed or restored 
You are called to those corners of this valley. Some of you are parents, and all you can do is get through your day taking care of kids. Your kids are the people you are called to. Those little pagans need the gospel. I have four of them in my house. And let me tell you, it is hard to be on mission to your kids. It leaves me with tears in my eyes because I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know if it's working. I don't know if they're hearing what I'm saying. And as I've looked at my son who's throwing a fit inconsolable for reasons that I cannot understand and I have heard the voice of God saying, your son needs you to love him right now, not to fix him. I've never been more clear on the gospel. So if your place of calling right now is your children, that is a good place to be called. If you are working a job that you hate and you cannot wait to leave, Monday when you go there, that is the place where God has commissioned you in that job that you hate to say, even here, Jesus is Lord. Even when I'm doing this job that I will leave in a second, Jesus is Lord. And there are some of you who God really is calling to leave. The vision in in Revelation 7 is that around the throne of God, there are people from every tribe and tongue, from every nation. And you are one of the people who are called to go to the ends of the earth. Not everybody is. But I don't think it's safe or healthy to assume, well, God would never ask me. He might. Some of you, you'll never be asked to do that. Many of us will not be. But some of you will have children who will one day come to you and will say, Jesus is calling me to go to the hardest place that you can imagine to tell people that He is Lord. And in that moment, you will have the opportunity and the possibility to once again believe the Gospel. To with agony let your child go while also confessing that Jesus is Lord. There is, for any Christian, no moment where you get to just say, my life is mine, and I will do what is comfortable to me. Some of you will be called far away. Some of you will be called to places and parts of the Swanano Valley that feel far away. And it'll be hard. But we are here in this valley, planted in this valley, because of King Jesus. We, we don't get to just have our hobbies or our jobs or our families or anything that's safe and excluded from the claims of King Jesus. It's just not allowed. We are called to be witnesses that we have seen Jesus and found Him more lovely, more compelling and winsome than any other person or place ever. 
And if you are here and you just do not know a Jesus that is like that this morning, maybe you once thought that, maybe you never have, the call of the gospel is still the same for you. Jesus is the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. He made all things, and through him all things are held together. He is the center of all the hope that you can have. He is the thing that you are craving whether you know it or not. For some of you, He is the thing that is plaguing you and harassing you in your sleep so that you cannot help but dream of what is not there. But Jesus is the King. And He is is standing in front of you to be your King. And if you have lived your life for yourself, for the singular mission of pleasing yourself and comforting yourself, there is a word that Jesus uses to describe what you should do, what I should do. You should repent. And that is very simply turning away. You're going in the wrong direction. Get up and go a different direction. Get up from pursuit of yourself, from pursuing a life of comfort, pursuing other kings, and turn another way. And here's what I would say to you. You are not alone. You do not have to live a life of repentance all by yourself. Because we here, your brothers and sisters, are also involved in this turning. That we are forever being turned away from that other way and into the way that is Jesus. And if you are here and you have felt alone, we want to help you feel not alone. We want you to link arms with us as we knit community around Jesus, as we are formed in the image of Jesus, as we go on mission with Jesus. You do not have to be alone and you do not have to be far from Him anymore. Jesus is the most compelling person in the history of the world. And you and I get to be witnesses to that. We get to tell people what we have seen and what we have experienced in small ways, with our lives, with our words. And we will give ourselves away together until the name of Jesus is everywhere in this valley. We want to see the kingdom of Jesus transform the Swannanoa Valley. And we believe that this is how he will do it. By sending his people on mission together. Everywhere that you can see. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness, for your good kingly rule. You have saved us individually. You have saved us come and gotten us, softened our hearts, opened our hearts to your love. You have broken the power of sin and death in your life, death and resurrection. And you have saved us corporately together, not just individuals, but a people. You've wrapped us into a family together with you as the head. And you are in the process of of completing the work of the kingdom. The kingdom is, is present, but not yet fully here. 
And you have invited us to be a part of that expansion, to be a part of that movement. And God, we pray that we would be faithful. Help us to be creative and ingenious in the ways that you asked us to be on mission, that we would see our vocations and our trades and our friends It's not just ends to themselves, but we would see these are avenues. These are places where God is proclaiming the good news of His rule. And Father, we pray that You would help us to see our world with Your eyes. That we would not just see our friends and and that we would use them as instruments. That we would not see relationships as tools, but we would love people, that we would love our valley, that we would want to pour out our lives for and with our valley, that we would want to proclaim the gospel with our whole lives out of love. The King of love has come and rescued us and established His throne with love. Jesus, we, we are 50-50 people at best. Father, I pray that you would help us to be free, not just from comfort, but from shame. That we would not bear a heavy burden, but would instead carry the burden that is light on our shoulders. You challenge us, Jesus, and you've won us. I pray, God, that you would continue to do it in us as individuals and together as a church. We ask, God, we plead with you, transform this valley by your kingdom to the praise of Jesus. Amen.